Tom Vilsack, former Iowa governor, former U.S. Secretary of Agriculture, and now the CEO of the U.S. Dairy Export Council. A wide range of experience and a lot of different worlds of policy. Today we're going to focus on his role in dairy, seeking to expand exports in a challenging time for trade and seeking to build dairy prosperity during a challenging time for the sector. Thank you for having the time to speak with us today. Well, it's great to be with you. So when you first came into your position with the U.S. Dairy Export Council, you had a mission to boost U.S. dairy exports. Um, how are we faring and, and how, what have been some of the challenges? Well, Alan, we received a lot of support and help from dairy farmers, uh, from our parent organization, uh, Dairy Management Incorporated, uh, to basically deepen our presence in many of these key markets with uh, hiring more people uh, that had a better understanding of how to develop business, a uh, better understanding of the markets, and better understanding of how we might be able to uh, showcase uh, the flexibility and the versatility of U.S. dairy products in export markets. We also had resources to hire uh, and to participate in more partnerships with culinary institutes and universities, and to do a lot more promotions. So a deeper presence in the key markets, and we had three goals. Uh, we wanted to increase the volume of product that was being sold to the world. We wanted to increase the value of the product that was being sold, and we wanted to increase the percentage of milk solids going into the export market. At this point, we have uh, seen an increase in volume uh, year to year. It can be anywhere from 150,000 to 300,000 metric tons compared to where it was in 2016. Value is up significantly each and every year. And in fact, today, we are about a billion, $100 million ahead of where we were at this point in time in 2016. And the percentage of milk solids going into exports has also increased, even though our dairy farmers are not only producing more milk, they're also producing better milk with a higher percentage uh, of milk solids in the milk they are producing. So uh, been a success story to this point. We now want to sort of double down on our effort. Um, and we're looking forward to the launch of our uh, Center of Dairy Excellence in Singapore, which I think will allow us to take better advantage of the Southeast Asia market. How does that become a model and, and a prod for greater international market development? Well, it first of all, I think sends a very uh, important message about U.S. dairy, and that is that it's in the export business to stay. Uh, the reality is we've had a reputation for far too long of being in and out of the export market to deal with surpluses. Uh, the reality of putting together a permanent location with permanent staff, allowing us to showcase the U.S. dairy story of sustainability 24-7, uh, 365 days a year, so to speak. The ability to use a test kitchen and sensory panels to showcase uh, through our members uh, the various ways in which products can be used uh, to meet Southeast Asian demand uh, gives us an opportunity, I think, to, to send the message, we're in it to stay, we're in it to win, um, and we're in, we're in it to showcase the amazing variety uh, of products that we can make available, whether it's uh, incredible cheeses, including 131 cheeses that won medals in the recent World Cheese Contest, or whether it's the wide array of ingredients that can go into baked goods, into snacks, into beverages, into health and wellness uh, 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 products. Uh, tremendous versatility. Um, and so this facility is going to allow us to send that message. And we believe it will increase market share. It will increase sales. And if we're right about that, then it's potentially something that could be replicated in other key markets. Now, you made reference toward the reputation for the U.S. sort of being in and out of export markets. International competition in dairy is stiff. You know, New Zealand's basically their entire dairy economy is oriented toward air ex exports. Uh, the U European Union, incredibly formidable competitor. The U.S. has its presence, um, but the concentration hasn't always been perceived as being there like it has been. How do you deal with that? Well, I, I think we deal with it in 
the development of the next 5% plan, which uh, was more people, more promotions, more partnerships, and a greater, deeper presence in export markets, a better understanding of export markets, and making sure that our members have the information that will allow them to make the sale. Uh, we're beginning to see a better understanding, for example, of the world in terms of our cheeses. It's not just commodity cheese that we sell. We now have specialty natural cheeses that are among the best in the world. Uh, we are doing a better job of training folks at the retail level to showcase U.S. Uh, cheeses. We're developing uh, a cadre of, of chefs and food leaders in the future by going into culinary institutes, institu institutes and into universities to be able to train the chefs of the future, the food leaders of the future about U.S. cheese, about U.S. ingredients, about how it could potentially be used uh, in a variety of recipes. So we know that they will then go from that education, that training into the workplace uh, and become uh, the leaders in a field over the next five, 10 years. So we're not only doing something immediately to promote U.S. dairy, we're also sort of planting the seeds for a longer term commitment. Uh, we also are, are taking a look at ways in which uh, we can promote uh, U.S. cheeses and U.S. ingredients. We have interesting relationships. Uh, I'll give you an example. In Japan, we have a relationship with Curves, which is a, a facility that caters to senior women in Japan. They have roughly 800,000 members. They're trying to convince these members to incorporate whey protein into their diet. Uh, they have a subscription system where you can uh, subscribe to uh, information and also to product they sell. 50% of the product they sell, the whey protein product they sell, comes from the U.S. So to the extent that we can expand the number of subscribers in that program, we obviously expand the demand for, for product. Um, we have, they have roughly 300,000 members today, and we're helping them increase that membership by 70 to 80,000 members a year. So that's going to increase the opportunity for us. Uh, and while we're doing this, we're also educating these consumers about the importance of whey protein. Well, and in talking about these efforts to lay seeds and take a look at the longer term, you also made a reference to dairy sustainability story. Um, there are challenges with consumers both internationally and domestically in understanding dairy's story, especially as environmental concerns, climate concerns move toward the forefront of what consumers put into their decisions. Well, there's no question that both domestically and internationally, the issue of sustainability, where food comes from, how it's being produced is becoming more and more important in decision-making uh, for consumers. The good news for us in the U.S. dairy industry is that we actually have a great story to tell. If you're interested in animal welfare, you should be pleased with the fact that the U.S. dairy industry is the only industry in the world that has an internationally certified animal welfare standard. If you're concerned about the greenhouse gas emissions that are connected to, to dairy or connected to agriculture, you can take heart with the fact that U.S. dairy producers are among uh, the only producers in the world outside of our Canadian friends who have been able to reduce the amount of greenhouse gas emissions in producing the milk that they produce. If you're concerned about the allocation of resources, whether land and water are being efficiently used, you can take, uh, I think, uh, some degree of, of comfort in knowing that there's less land, less water, uh, even though more milk is being produced. Uh, so there's a terrific story for US, the U.S. industry to tell, and it's going to become increasingly important for it to continue to tell that. Um, and I believe that the industry is committed to an even more uh, progressive and profound uh, effort at trying to reduce uh, emissions and eventually get to a point where perhaps the industry can market itself as the only dairy industry in the world that actually has net zero emissions. Uh, that would be a tremendous marketing advantage. Uh, our competitors are going to face challenges. Uh, there may be uh, resource constraints in New Zealand. Uh, 
the reality is within uh, Europe there are significant environmental standards and, and constraints that may make it hard for them. Uh, we are innovative, we are productive, we have land, we have resources, we have the will uh, to do this in a sustainable way. So I think the future for the industry vis-a-vis -vis our competitors is, is bright. So how do we get this message to the consumer? Well, I think uh, uh, our parent organization, DMI, is working on that. National Milk is working on it. Individual members of, of U.S. DEC uh, on the international side have their opportunities to also showcase what they are doing at the company level. Uh, the, the, we have an innovation uh, center innovation committee of, of all of the major producers in this country, uh, processors, and they have committed to not only focusing on greenhouse gas emissions and animal welfare, but also reducing waste. So these are messages that they will be able to incorporate in their marketing of their specific products while we are uh, doing a, a larger marketing effort through uh, uh, the DMI efforts. Uh, and we at USDEC will be encouraging through our Center of Dairy Excellence and other programs, reinforcing the sustainability message. Now, we've talked a lot about sustainability. It's obvious that this is a, a key emerging issue in the dairy sector. What other issues do you see emerging as challenges this industry will be facing in the years to come? Well, I think that there's continued need for innovation. Uh, innovation in the product itself, uh, especially on the fluid milk side. Uh, the need for us to make sure that we are constantly looking for ways to to respond to consumer needs. If it's less, if it's less fat, less sugar, and more protein, then innovation needs to take place. Container uh, the innovations in containers, making it usable, friendly. Uh, we're dealing with a company now that uh, has been purchasing milk uh, by the quart or by the gallon. Uh, that's uh, difficult for them in terms of their supply chain. Is there a way in which we can innovate a distribution system that meets their needs for a lot of milk without them having to deal with individual gallons being purchased down at the local grocery store? Um, so there's constant need for innovation. I think that's one issue. Um, the other issue is, is how, do we, uh, how do we assemble information and data that can, be, that can be helpful and still maintain some degree of privacy? I think the whole issue of cybersecurity even within the dairy industry is an interesting uh, challenge. I think blockchain, uh, the blockchain uh, technology is, is something that's uh, going to be important for the dairy industry to incorporate. Uh, look, uh, people may not go to the grocery store in the future. The grocery store may come to them. How do we make sure that milk, cheese, dairy products are part of that uh, emerging uh, democratization, if you will, uh, of, of grocery shopping? Uh, how do we incorporate uh, our products uh, in that system uh, easily and efficiently and safely. Are there challenges uh, specific to dairy that you may not see with other commodities? And I guess in this, I'm, I'm interested in your perspective from a wealth of a career in agriculture because you hear about dairy having uh, you know, the specific crisis in dairy, the specific issues dealing with dairy. And admittedly, when you have a year-round perishable product, it's kind of quirky compared to some other things. So. What challenges may be unique to dairy, and, and how, in some ways, is dairy facing up to certain challenges that other commodities also face? Well, this isn't unique to dairy, but it is, but it is certainly uh, not widespread among all agriculture, and that's the issue of competition within a category based on how that product is being produced. So you've got plant-based beverages, uh, and, and you've got uh, U.S. dairy. And they're essentially competing with a customer for, uh, for beverage selection. The reality is that our friends on the plant-based side are attempting to use the term milk 
at a way that allows them the benefit of the nutritional reputation, if you will, of milk without it necessarily having to meet uh, the standards that we uh, in, the, in the dairy industry have, have in fact historically met. Uh, we, t we call it nature's perfect food, uh, you know, essential vitamins and minerals. Uh, I think one of the challenges will, will be making sure that as alternatives are developed, that there is transparency and truth in advertising and truth in marketing and truth in labeling uh, so that consumers will know when they see a product labeled milk that they are indeed getting those essential minerals and vitamins as opposed to something that tries to take advantage of that term but doesn't meet the standard. And I think today we see many of those plant-based beverages in that category, that, that latter category. Um, I think that's an interesting challenge. Uh, you know, there's always going to be safety issues um, that, that are unique to every individual product, uh, but I think our industry has an extraordinary record for safety. Um, you know, I think that, uh, you know, we talked about the animal welfare issue. I think people are concerned, again, how, how, how things are being, how the milk is being produced. Um, you know, the, the real challenge, I think, from, a, from an export perspective is how do we continue to send the message that we have a genuine interest in individual markets? And, and frankly, how do we deal with global political, um, the stresses and strains politically around the world that could interfere with economies or can interfere with, with, uh, with trade? Um, I think right now of the Middle East, for example, we've got a situation obviously in Iran um, that is complicated and difficult and but could could potentially take a turn that would significantly impact and affect the economies in the Middle East and North Africa. Well, what does that mean to dairy? Well, that's a fairly significant market for us. It's a significant market for the Europeans. If that market is disrupted, how do, how do the Europeans uh, adjust to that? Where do they send the milk that they were otherwise or the, or the cheese or the ingredients they were otherwise sending, selling in the Middle East and North Africa, where do they sell it? How do, do we, do, does it create greater competition in other parts of, uh, of the world that, that we now have a nice market share on? So I think there's, you know, there's a lot of interesting challenges in this industry, um, and I, we have to be on our toes, and we have to understand that uh, it's going to just be really important to, to keep pace with change. How have the trade conflicts made made it a little more challenging for you to meet some of the goals you set when you came into this position? Well, certainly the Chinese trade uh, discussions and dispute uh, made a, a fundamental difference. We saw a significant drop-off of trade activity. Now, the hope is that with the, res with the Phase 1 agreement that we indeed do see uh, a, an elimination of SPS barriers that made it more difficult for plants to be registered or for products to get into market to, for infant formula to be sold in, in China. The hope is that we uh, are, are able to see uh, permeate being used not just for feed but also food and that the regulatory structures uh, are aligned to allow that to happen more quickly. And the hope is that as uh, the Chinese make uh, a promise to buy more agricultural products that dairy is included in that, in that promise and that we actually see more sales. Um, you know, the Japanese situation, when we pulled out of TPP, it created a tariff differential uh, between us and New Zealand and the EU with reference to the Japanese market for ingredients, and we saw a loss of market share. The hope is that the, the Phase 1 agreement with Japan, which eliminates that differential, allows us a, a level playing field, enables us to go back uh, uh, into a more competitive circumstance uh, on the ingredient side. Cheese, obviously, we're going to see continued growth there. Uh, the USMCA agreement uh, with Mexico and Canada, um, you know, obviously the Canadians have been uh, undercutting the world price on powder with their Class 7 classification system. 
The agreement calls for an end of that. Once uh, the Canadians have ratified the agreement, we're going to keep a wary eye on how that Class 7 is replaced with a different pricing system. We're going to keep a wary eye on whether or not the supply management system in Canada that, that, that has problems and challenges with excess product, isn't, those problems aren't exported to the rest of the world, but they're dealt with within, within Canada. Um, and additional market access in Canada, although it's not a lot, it's more than we had. And so we're obviously going to make sure that those quotas are, are met uh, and met uh, in the way that they were intended. So a lot of opportunity that we may have missed in the last couple of years now potentially the opportunity for us to make up for lost time um, and hopefully we see additional sales. The Center of Dairy Excellence opening in 2020 in Southeast Asia, again believing that it could lead to additional sales. Combine that with additional sales from USMCA with the reopening of the Chinese market and continued uh, support in the Middle East, North Africa and North Asia uh, I think speaks to a more hopeful and optimistic look for exports in 2020 than in 19. Well, and you mentioned the need for the U.S. to show that it's here to stay in export markets. For the sake of the U.S. dairy farmer, it would seem like this isn't just a nice thing to do. This is going to be essential going forth for prosperity. Well, the great thing about the dairy farmers is that they're really good at what they do. They're the best in the world. They continue to produce more milk. And the, and the reality is while we're consuming more milk domestically, we aren't consuming it at quite the same rate as folks are producing it. So therefore, exports become incredibly important in terms of being able to um, allow us to stabilize prices and allow us to maintain some profitability in this industry. I think one of the challenges in the future for the industry is to make sure that the pricing mechanisms that we use in setting value and setting price and how farmers get paid at this point don't take into consideration the additional value from exports. And I think that somewhere somehow along the line, that export of 15, 16, 17 percent of product that's being exported, that needs to be factored somehow into how we calculate what the farmer gets. And I think if that happens, we'll probably see a little more income for farmers. At the same time, if we also get into a net zero mindset, that opens up additional uh, revenue opportunities for farmers as well, whether it's an ecosystem market for conservation on the farm or whether it's capturing methane and converting it into energy that goes on the grid or whether it's uh, dealing with manure differently so that you reduce costs and create new products. All of that, I think, speaks to uh, potential income opportunities. You know, I'd have to say, um, Mr. Secretary, having known you when you were Secretary of Agriculture, one of the things that was always striking about your tenure was your ability to really geek out on certain topics. <laughs> Listening to you, it seems like you're really geeking out on dairy right now. Well, I, I'm, I'm, a fair, I'm apparently a policy wonk and a policy geek. But look, he, he, Alan, you know this. Uh, there are 37, 38,000 families uh, who have been struggling for the last couple of years in a very tough market situation. And, and I, I don't forget that. I don't forget them. Uh, I know that our work uh, not only helps those folks, but also helps nearly 100,000 people that are working at processing facilities that are exporting products. So there are a lot of jobs and a lot of people and a lot of livelihoods that depend on what we do. Uh, and these are really good, hardworking people. Uh, and we at U.S. Tech and, and at National Milk, I think, spend every single waking moment thinking how can we do a better job, how can we sell more product, how can we help folks sell more product, and how can we do it in a way that people will continue to be proud of the industry. And, and, and the 38 folks who work for U.S. Tech are very committed to that. So given all of that, it's still fairly early in the year. Very tangibly, what are the goals for, for 2020? Where do you hope to be at the end of this year? Well, obviously, it's always more value, more volume, and more, more milk solids in, in exports. We had an interesting November where skim milk powder sales 
uh, set a record for monthly sales. We obviously would like to see a continuation of that. Our expectation is we're going to see a bit more on the ingredient side and the powder side than we did the previous year because of these trade agreements. We hope to be able to see an increase of what we saw in 2019, which is a little more cheese that's in production going into the export market. If we truly want to help that milk check, if we really want to drive it, we need to continue to look for ways in which we sell more cheese. Right now, roughly 75% of the powder that's produced in this country is exported. So there's not a whole lot of upside potential there. Uh, maybe you get to 78%, maybe you get to 80%, but at the end of the day, that's a commodity. We currently sell about 6% of cheese that's produced in this country in the export markets. If we could get that to 10%, that would make a significant difference for farmers and for processors. Right. Well, thank you so much for making the time today. This is Tom Vilsack, the leader of the U.S. Dairy Export Council, and this is the Dairy Defined Podcast. We'll be talking to you again in a couple of weeks. 